Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. How many feel alive today? How many came in maybe not feeling so alive, but now you feel alive? That's good. Man, we, we're honored. We got some, some friends here. Um, the Bowling family, we're so honored you're here. They got a, a day off from their home church. He serves as a worship pastor, and they do all kinds of stuff there at Riversong in Springfield. So thanks for taking your day off with us. We love you guys. Thank you. And uh, man, we're excited. The Vies are here. They just moved into their new home outside of Pleasant Hill, and they are running a youth ministry now called The Barn. So it's a weekend ministry of interdenominational. So they're having an open house today from 3 to 5. Uh, man, if you could just go support them and, and uh, just show their support. So congrats on, on your new home and your new adventure. So let's give them a hand. All right. So um, I'm, I'm, I like sports. I'm not a sports fanatic by any stretch. I just hop on bandwagons when it gets really popular, okay? So like I don't watch hardly a single college basketball game, but March Madness, I'm like into it big time. Like I call into work, all right? So I don't watch a single NBA game all year, but now the Cavs are in the playoffs, and I'm like, well, I'm going to watch that. And uh, I fell asleep at the end of the fourth period the other night. So they're playing again tonight, and uh, again, I, I do playoffs, all right? NHL's in playoffs right now, and I'm like, oh, cool, you know, maybe Las Vegas can pull us out. I don't know who I'm rooting for yet. And, uh, but anyway, Eli and I, my nephew, who Nicole mentioned, went with us to a ramp once, uh, Leah's son. Uh, he and I were in this debate on Memorial Day, and it just kind of led into uh, a sermon that I've pre been pressing into for several weeks now, if not a couple months, of just influence and leadership. And, and he and I are, are getting this debate whether or not LeBron James is the greatest NBA basketball player of all time. All right, that's, that's the debate. And I disagree with him, all right? His opinion is that he's the greatest NBA basketball player of all time. My opinion is you have to change the history of the game if you're going to be considered the greatest of all time in any sport, in any arena, in anything, all right? So LeBron has added to the game, but he hasn't changed the game. You think of a Larry Bird with the deep shots. You think of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You think of Michael Jordan with between the legs and the rolls and jumping from the free throw line and dunking that ball right into the hoop. Those guys have changed the history of the game. Babe Ruth changed the history of the game, hitting as many home runs as he did. And he was out of shape and a rebel rouser. Like, but he changed the course of history. You know, you think back to the first pitcher that threw 100 miles, an hour, miles per hour fastball with control. These are people that changed the course of history. LeBron James, he's added to the game. Best in modern day history, in my opinion. And I think if I would take LeBron on an average day and Michael Jordan on his best day, I think LeBron would still take him. I do. But I don't think it puts LeBron as the best of all time. Eli's not even here to hear my message, convincing you all that I'm right. How many believe that I'm right now? <laughs> okay, good. So LeBron is very good, best of modern time, best in probably the last couple of decades, but I don't think he's the best of all time, all right? But here's the thing. 
you all, this, that was not a rabbit trail, that was an intro into the message. You are the best of all time. You were created for such a time as this. Like God has picked you. He picked you. He molded you. He says, let us make man in our image. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they threw this party in heaven and boom, they created you to make you a world changer, to make you a history maker, to, to make Haley be the first graduate in her family. That is a world changer. Why? She may not be changing the basketball game. She may not be changing baseball or the history of a sport, but she's changing the legacy and the inheritance in a family tree. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. So God so loved the world that he gave his prized possession to us, to die for us, to live in us, so that way we can love and change the world that he gifted us. Listen, in the first parable in the Bible, he talks about, it's the, it's the, the parable of the seed and the sower. And he says this, he says, if you get this one parable, you get the kingdom. If you don't get this parable, you don't, you don't understand the kingdom. So you're here in seed form. You're here to change the world. Listen, the world in that, in that context means cosmos which means everyone and everything. We don't get to pick and choose who we love. We don't get to pick and choose who we actually pour out to and show some time or a smile to. Listen, God loves Muslims. God loves Hindu. God loves Buddhists. He, he just does. Why? Because he too threw a party for them just as much as he threw a party for you when he created them. They may not just know it yet. They may not be living that. And I, I'm not saying I'm agreeing with those, with those beliefs and those ideologies and those theologies. I, I'm, I'm not. And I'm also not agreeing with people in lifestyle sins. But guess what? These people are the world in which he created. They just don't know they're his sons and daughters yet. They're just pre-believers. They're one encounter away from knowing the Messiah, knowing and, and feeling his presence. We're presented with this opportunity as an inheritance to leave a legacy so you who graduated or moving to a new season or you who are just right where you are, you have been given a platform. You have been given this place, this position of authority, whether it's, it's, it's working at a coffee shop or whether it's at a hospital or whether it's in a school classroom or whether it's at a campus or in a school or whether it's at home changing poopy diapers you have been given this authority and this, and, this, and this opportunity to influence nations. Listen, what legacy is, it's, it's passing down to a generation in which you make it better than the way you found it. But here's the thing about legacy. We need to leave this world better than the way we found it. We are in such a microscopic section of time in our life. We are in such a small, tiny little section. We've had a couple of deaths associated to the church and, and those, um, some family members here. And I text a pastor friend who lost their founding pastor, a close friend of his. And I just said, listen, heaven is celebrating and welcoming Louie into heaven right now. And I'm declaring the same thing that was declared over my mom and Drew and other people that, that's been really close to Upper Room that's passed away, that his body would go into the ground as a seed that's planted to bring a harvest. Listen, sometimes we, th we think that, oh, we just show up and things happen. Sometimes it does happen. Like, God's that good. It really can. Like, sometimes I, I just remember, like, man, what, what happened? What? After my encounter, like, what really happened to me? I'm just like, boom, here I am. 
And it's like, but yet there's these times and then I look back and I'm like, wait, there was that private time. There was those prayer nights. There was those, those prayer services. There was that time like searching and yearning for more of God. There was a seed time and a harvest. Listen, we are a seed that's put here on earth that's meant to produce a harvest. We may not see the harvest in our lifetime. We may not see the seed that was planted to the server who's going to be changed today because of an encouraging word you give her at lunch. You may not see the full development of the harvest of what you're pouring into your grandkids and great-grandkids. You may not see it. But what if, what if the greatest thing you're pouring into are literally just the person in front of you one at a time? That's what makes you the greatest of all time because you're world changers. Mike and I, we've constantly had conversations, and, and you look at, even on the spiritual sense of sons and daughters, you look at, 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 at Moeller, at um, Dan Moeller, who's the spiritual father of Todd White, and, and think, think about this legacy that Dan Moeller gets to live and get to celebrate in when all of a sudden you see a Todd White reaching millions of people a year and leading them to the gospel of Jesus Christ to salvation, what if our greatest legacy is not what we leave to people that matters, but what we leave in people that matters, especially our children? Whether that be natural or spiritual, what if, and I really fully believe it is not what if, it is that your greatest legacy is going to be fleshed out through the generations to come in which who you've poured out to. Listen, you were meant to be poured into and poured out to, out of. You were meant to come in. That's why he says, our cup runneth over. You were meant to be poured into to fill up so much that you actually leak out to everybody around you. Otherwise, you would be a dead sea. Out of our bellies shall flow what? Rivers of living water. And that can only flow out. I can only give what I'm receiving. I can only pour out what I'm being filled up with. So our legacy has to be something where we leave this world better than we found it, where we actually be the change that we want to see. This is, this is just something cool that Jennifer Hetland told me. And I said, what's some advice? You guys should really honor who's speaking and silence those cell phones. Who in the world's calling me at 1220 on a Sunday? Is it you? Are you messing with me right now? No, she's taking notes because she loves what I'm saying right now. So Jennifer gave me this advice, and it's, it's change, be the change that you want to see. Yesterday, uh, this weekend, the, the youth are doing an amazing job at the Troy Strawberry Festival. So if you're going to leave here and go there, go get your $2 strawberry lemonade. It's going to be amazing because a bottle of water is $2.50. Wow. Giving you a deal, making money in the process. Anyways, the Levels and the McGills have just done an awesome job. And, and Chloe, I had to do some work yesterday for the fire department and inspect all the tents. And I told Chloe, I said, hey, you're going to come with me on Saturday morning, and uh, you're going to help me ride along while I do the checks, and then I'll drop you off at the tent once they're there, and you can serve for a few hours. Dad, I don't want to. I, what, I don't even know if I'm going to know anybody in the tent. She's, she's just got through um, fifth grade, so our youth is sixth grade through twelfth. So anyway, um, so this will be her first summer going into the youth program. And I said, oh, honey, you really don't have a choice. Well, actually, let me rephrase it. I did, Josh, I promise. I did say you have a choice. 
Josh is like our parenting guru. So I said, okay, here's your choice. Be a part of the youth group and actually sow into it and serve or not be a part of the youth group next year because you're not just gonna be a taker. You're actually going to serve and give to the youth group because you're going to benefit from all the fun events that cost money. All right, dad, fine, I'll go. And, and she had this amazing time. She was, we left there yesterday. I, she, I had, she said, can I work some more? All right, I'll come back in a half hour. And then we get in the car. She's like, can I go back tomorrow morning? Can I miss church to do that? And she's like, oh, wait, I forgot I have CIA and I'm doing the art. And, and so anyway, it was this fun time. But here's the other thing. As we're driving home, I said to her the same thing I said to when we were youth pastoring. And I said to the youth then, and we had some people and some young kids just catch right onto it. If you want your youth group to grow, Chloe, then you need to invite your friends. It is up to you to grow the youth group. I don't go into your schools all that often. I, don't, I can't reach your friends. I'm, I'm an old man in context of a 12-year-old, okay? <laughs> so young at heart, though. And some of you who are older than me like, he just called himself old? Where's that put me? God is renewing our youth like eagles, everybody. Relax. Anyway, I said, listen, if you want your youth group to grow, it's the same thing I told the youth, then you grow it. You bring your friends. You invite your cousins. You invite your siblings. Like, you grow your youth group. If you see something that needs done, you be the change that you want to see. Don't expect anybody else to do it. Like, if you see a piece of trash on the floor, pick it up. You think that everybody else is going to pick it up, and everybody else thinks everybody else is going to pick it up, and guess what happens? No one picks up the trash. Same thing. You see this person that grabs your eye at McDonald's or something, and all of a sudden, you're like, well, somebody else will minister to him or her. No, God put that in your heart to do it. Maybe it won't ever happen. Like, it breaks our heart. Mike and I meet people that have never heard the name of Jesus here in the Miami Valley. That's an injustice, and it's probably because we think somebody else will just do it. Like, you were born to be you. God put this DNA in you to be the world changer of the people around you and who you encounter on a daily basis and every day. So anyway, we, we would say this to the youth group, and, and I'll tell you what, like, Kendra and Destiny, I think Destiny's in here. There's, maybe she was. Kendra and Destiny, like, Kendra worked at McDonald's. All of a sudden, Kendra catches fire and experiences the tangible presence of Jesus. She was a cutter. We met her when she was about 14 years old. She was a cutter. She was depressed. She had all kinds of issues going on. We just loved her into the kingdom. All of a sudden, she catches fire. Her entire family gets saved. Her entire household gets saved. Then all of a sudden, revival broke out in McDonald's. She worked at McDonald's, and all of a sudden, she'd bring a friend. She brought her brother. Then they started inviting people. Half of our youth group were McDonald's employees. It was amazing. Why? Because they saw something. They felt. They tasted and saw that the Lord was good, and they wanted others to experience it. And they had this vision, and they had this clarity of knowing who they were to know their purpose to go. Let's go to John 13. John 13, three through five says this. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and we would return to God. Now listen, there is so much depth in that. Here's the deal. First off, he knew that the authority had come from God. He knew he was coming from God 
and he knew he was returning to go back to God. So listen, Jesus not only knew who he was, he knew where he was going, and he knew where he had come from. A few weeks ago, we talked about identity and, and, and your purpose and what identity is, knowing that you're a child of God, knowing that he wonderfully, fearfully created you. We, we, we went through this, and he celebrates you. Zephaniah 3.17, he delights in you. He rejoices over you. You are his craftsmanship. You are his worksmanship. You are his masterpiece. You are his, his good work. So here we see Jesus saying, okay, I know who I am. I know where I'm going, and I know where I came from. Listen, that's, that's always a key to know where you're going. Know that you have purpose. Listen, it's not just about being a, a son or a daughter. It's about being a son or a daughter with purpose. It's not just about being a church and we come in and we, we just meet every once in a while on Sundays and we, we hang out and we have this fun. It's about being a family on a mission. Like we are still a family with a purpose. Our purpose is to host his presence. Above all things, we just worship him. We oftentimes get confused about what the purpose, the key purpose of the church is. And we think we need to fix and help and judge and condemn everybody. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is literally to host his presence and then to be so missional that we bring other people in to encounter his presence and get saved. Like, that's, that's missional. But we're not just a group of people that's inclusive to hold it to ourselves. We can't become so inwardly focused that we get externally bound. But we can't become so externally focused, we become inwardly bound, and we're unhealthy. So all of a sudden, we have this balance to say, we are family. We know who we are, but we have purpose. We're family on a mission. It's the same thing with us. So Jesus, in John 13, 3 here, says, I know who I am. I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going. And then it goes on to say this in verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Going down to verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. Listen, he had to clarify that. Like, this is his covenant brotherhood. This is his sons. This is, this is who's closest to him. This is who he's pouring a legacy out to. And he's saying, listen, you call me teacher and savior. You're not just one in the, in the community or a Pharisee calling me teacher and prophet. You call me teacher and Lord. So then he goes on to say in, in verse 14, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Listen, he knew who he was, he knew where he was coming from, and he knew where he was going, and he did it with purpose in his identity. It took 30 years to grow up as a son to do three years of ministry. There was the baptism experience where the father says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done a miracle yet. He hadn't raised the dead yet. He hadn't preached the sermon on the mount. He hadn't died on the cross, but yet the father's saying, I'm proud of you, son. And then three years of assignment after 30 years of preparation. Esther, she's, she's in this, she's, she's basically like a zero to a hero, and she doesn't compromise her beliefs, and she doesn't, and if you don't know the story, just, just look it up and, and read it in depth. But here, she's, she doesn't compromise her, her, her theology, she doesn't compromise her beliefs, she doesn't compromise her morals, she's not coming from royalty, 
But listen, she didn't sell out. She didn't say, well, it's about the king. She wasn't in this competition to just win. She was in the competition to change a nation on assignment because she knew the king, so she had to marry a king. Listen, this was Esther's story of, of saying, listen, it's the least likely to do the most great things. It's the zero to the hero. It's the nobody to the somebody, and you don't have to compromise to do it. You are called to leave an inheritance, a legacy for just who you are and God put in you. You're a carrier of him. Let's, let's move on. Listen, God has such great plans for you. Like, even when we start to doubt this and even say, well, maybe not me. Listen, God doesn't just take the leaders and the business owners and the politicians and all these people to have influence. Do you realize that Joseph was a number two guy that was calling the shots through the influence through Pharaoh? He wasn't the leader. He wasn't the king. He wasn't the Pharaoh. But it was a number two guy that was ruling and reigning in the kingdom. We don't need a title to have influence. We don't need a title to have position. We don't need a title to, to, to think that we can change the world. Like he's going and is doing it through you. All of a sudden, you know, you, you get to this, and, and it's like the moment you question yourself, like you are the perfect person that God has hand-selected to reach the people that you encounter every day. In Romans 8, 28, he actually says, like, he loves you. And those who love him and are called according to what? Everything works out and they're called according to his purpose. Like he has purpose for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says he has plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans for a hope, a future for you. Like he has these plans. And Ephesians 3.20 even says that he'll do greater than you can ask, think, or imagine. He is working out. He is moving ahead of you. He is ahead of you in time. He's behind you in time. He was with you in your worst. He's with you in your best. And he doesn't look at you any differently. Listen, Jesus in John 13, 3, knowing where he came from, but knowing where he's going, listen, there's a reason that your windshield is way bigger than your rearview mirror, but there's still a mirror there to just remind you just a little bit of where you don't want to go back to. God knows you for your destiny, not your history. That's actually buried on the bottom of the ocean floor and forgotten as far as the east is to the west. We want to remind ourselves of it, and we won't let go of it, and it's harder for us to forgive ourselves than allow others or even Jesus to forgive us. And that's shame. That's shame. And that was never introduced by God. That was actually introduced by the enemy in the garden when they found themselves naked and then were full of shame. Sin might get you somewhere, but it's shame that keeps you there and tries to convince you and lie to you just like the enemy did in the garden that you're not good enough and that you're not a world changer and you're not a history maker. Let me tell you the truth of what the word says. You are. You're even greater than that. He did all these things, signs and wonders, all these things that books, a series of books can't contain, but yet the promise is that you'll do greater works than he did. Why? Because you're more than a conqueror. Because no weapon formed against you will prosper. Not even a word, a naysayer, a doubt will come in to measure up to anything in your life. Let, let me move on here. There's a difference between influence and self-indulgence. There's a difference between an influencer and a narcissist. Let me explain. I love trying to create words that like fit together or rhyme, you know? Have you noticed that? I love it. Sometimes I even make up words just to make it sound great. An influencer versus somebody who's just self-indulgent for, for, for themselves is here's the difference. Are you in it for the pay? 
Are you in it for the prestige? Are you in it for the platform? Are you in it for the popularity? Or are you in it for the purpose? Are you raising up an influence for yourself or are you raising up an influence for the kingdom? Are you serving yourself or are you serving God in the platform that's been created for you, no matter what that is? And there is not a lesser platform than than the greatest one. Why? Because we just read a scripture that says you're not, you know, everybody's equal. Jesus is sending them out and he's saying, now you guys do this. And he's sending them to wash each other's feet. And he's like, listen, a servant or a master is not greater than a servant and obviously not greater than the one that sent you. So whether your job is washing toilets and emptying trash cans or whether you're sitting up in stages of thousands of people pouring out and delivering speeches, that is not anything different than the next. Let me just bring it to reality here. How many like a clean toilet in the church? Praise the Lord. God is good. And all the time, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to know that. Listen, we like a clean toilet as much as we like a good message, as much as we like good worship. Therefore, the person cleaning the toilets isn't lesser than the guy giving the word or the person leading the the worship set. Like, it's all important. What you don't realize is what's making this go is a guy controlling knobs back there named Andrew. They wouldn't be where they are without a sound guy making them sound really amazing. And it goes on and on and on. It's the same thing in our culture. There is not one job that's less than another. There's not one influence that's less than another. Why? Because we all encounter a platform of influence. And all of a sudden, we realize that our motives might be in check, and we realize our motives might be in check when we ask the people around us how we are. Many government organizations don't want Facebook pages. Inside story is because they don't really want the portrayal or opinions of the citizens to publicly say how bad things might really be or the opinions of that side of it. So if they oftentimes have a Facebook page, it's very filtered and controlled of what is being able to be released there because we only want people to see the good perception of us. We want the Instagram version of us with the greatest filter. Like Nicole, I think, was talking about that one week. It's like, listen, if you really want good feedback of your heart's motive, ask the people around you. Sometimes a Facebook page might be good to get the inside view of how things really appear. I want to know. I want to know if my heart's in check. I want my friends around me. I want you to keep me in check. Iron sharpens iron. I'm not above reproach. I want to know, is my heart pure? That's my prayer often. Is that my heart stays hungry, my heart stays pure, and I stay humble. Listen, I've got all these invites, and I'm flying next weekend to to Minnesota to to speak to probably 1,500 or more people. I don't say that to brag. I say that to say, listen, God has picked up this zero, and he's making me into so hard to think a hero. Like, God sees something in me that I don't even see in myself. It's highlighted to people, you know, around and all this, but it's like my heart is just, just tender, and I never, ever want to lose that. I don't want to get an arrogance to say, listen, it's only about the invites. Look, look at me. Look, did you see that on Facebook? Did you see that video? Did you hear that word? Did you hear that prophetic word? Did you see all those healings that broke out? Like, listen, if it's not about him, then I don't want to be a part of it. If it's not about glorifying the king in everything I'm doing, then I don't want to be a part of it. 
It's not about me. It's not about an influence. It's not about a following. It's not about a prestige. Listen, it's, it's, it's really about him. The, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Let me, let me just move on here. At work, you know, or in your influence, whatever that might be, are you partaking in the discord? Are you partaking in the gossip? Are you partaking in the naysaying and the negativity or even just the slander towards your bosses or your employees or whatever that makeup might be? Or are you being what God's called you to be in that space of being an ambassador for him, being a peacemaker for him? Are you being the things that he's challenged and called us to be for him to be a light? Are you being the salt and light in your workplace and the influence in your home and the people around you? We are called to be that. Let me move on here. Matthew 16, 26 says this, says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Are we willing to sell out for the money, for the prestige, for the power, for the popularity, for the platform? Look at me. Or are we really willing to press in and say it's about him? Like I worked really hard to get, a, to, 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 get to where I am in my career as a firefighter and, and put in a lot of time. And I, do, I, I try to do my very best as a training lieutenant. And... And here's the deal, but it's not, it's not for me to look good. It's so that our firefighters will return to their families and their kids and their wives after every shift. That's the greater good. For the kingdom, whatever it is where you are, like it is not about you. It's not about me. It doesn't matter when the Shekinah glory comes, and it doesn't matter who gets us there as long as we get there. And our, our heart should be that we can get as many people into that as possible. Like, that should be our heart. And and you don't have to be an evangelist to do that. You just have to have the ability to share your story and love, even just a little bit. Let Let me finish up here. Luke 9, 1 through 2 says this, and then we're gonna go to a few verses, 6, 9, and 17. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Going on. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Verse 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where they were about to go. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 17, the 72 return with joy. How many like that we can have fun in church? How many like that you can actually smile and laugh as a Christian? Christianity's fun. You should get saved. He's a good God. His goodness leads you to repentance. (laughs) 72, return with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to your name. Like, listen, all this to say, he has given you authority to go make disciples in your going. You don't, (laughs) the schools help, the resources, the books, they all help. But guess who the greatest example of all time of being a Christian is? Jesus. 
And how did he live his life? What did he do? He prayed for the sick. He, he saw people get healed. He brought joy. He changed atmospheres. He raised the dead. He, he, he went and met with down and outers. He met with the people that no one else would meet with. He touched the people no one else would touch. He embraced the people that no one else would embrace. One of the things that the Lord's been challenging me with the last few months is, is, is all these big doors are opening and all these, these influences and, and different things with different churches and, and movements. And, and it's like, but he's been asking me this question, will you still meet with the one? Will you still meet with the 14-year-old has nothing to offer to you at this moment? Will you still meet with a drug addict who really has no value to give to you at the moment? And he's been challenging me and, and, and Christopher, uh, Christy's husband, Christopher, he's, he's such an amazing guy and he has this beautiful story of breakthrough and coming from heroin addiction. And every week he's texting me, hey, can we meet this week? And it is such a sacrifice for me to get up and meet him at 6 a.m. once a week. <laughs> I am not a morning person. And... But God's been challenging me, like, will you still row across the Sea of Galilee to cast a demon out of one person? Or is it just for the crowd? Is it just for the movement? He's really, like, literally, I, I can say this and easily say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm willing. I do it. But is it in my heart to do it? Or am I doing it out of duty or doing it because I feel like it's the right thing to do? Like, that's really what's been processing here. Like, am I only supposed to be meeting with leaders, or am I still supposed to meet with the ones? I'm just being real with you. And Jesus still met with the ones. Like, he, he literally rode across an entire sea to cast a demon out of one person. He sat next to a woman on a well who was an outcast from every aspect of life. He goes on and on and on. Jesus is our greatest example. Let me read this last verse. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I hit on this just a little last week. The seed principle is stewarding what's in front of you, loving the person in front of you. And then maybe, maybe we'll see a harvest reaped from that. But the Bible says in several different areas, including Luke 16, Matthew 25, when you're faithful in little, much is given. Are we willing to steward the little and just love the person right in front of me? Am I willing? Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. The prophet Jeremiah says, don't focus on the faces what we're doing, what we're doing, what we do cannot be just to please man. We do everything we do as if doing it directly unto the Lord. Colossians 24, 3.24 says this, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Listen, we're not doing this for man. We're not doing this for ourselves. We're doing this for the kingdom to advance and for people to encounter his presence and be transformed in the Lord's very nature. Isn't that a good opportunity? It's legacy. It's inheritance that we get to do this for the Lord and pass it down to those who are coming beneath us. Why don't you stand with me?
we've messed up along the way. My wife and I, we've not always, still not, <laughs> the greatest leaders. But God's put some passion in us, and he's, for some reason, called us to be the pastors here. It truly is an honor, and I'm not saying that as if I don't want to do it. I'm saying that as how me, like what makes me more worthy or different from anybody else in this room that could probably preach a better message, be better leaders, organize better. I, I have no organization whatsoever. As you can see, all over the map, two weeks in a row now, preaching, not knowing even what's coming out. But here's the thing, like he's put something in us. And, and I know we've messed up along the way, and I, I just remember saying, like, to the youth, I, I remember holding a microphone, and I was like, we're dropping this mic. Who's grabbing it? We're looking for youth interns again. We're still dropping this mic. We're still looking for people to grab it. Don't expect somebody else to do it. Don't expect somebody else to pick up that trash or love on that person or pour out into your family. My wife, she had this opportunity before her grandparents passed away. They both smoked their whole life, and they both passed away of, of uh, lung cancer. And, and she didn't know certainty when her, when her grandpa was getting really ill, a certainty of their salvation or their walk with the Lord. And she made them books of scriptures, and she began to go over there and do Bible studies with them and just tell them about the love of Jesus. And before both of her grandparents passed away, she got the assurance that both were saved and both were really in love with the Lord. And it's the beauty of something. Don't expect her dad to do it, her mom to do it, her cousins to do it. Like, she did it. Maybe they were doing it too. I don't know, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> so we're dropping this mic, and, and the, the, the picture's behind me, and you probably can't see them. Maybe there's glares, but they're up in our prayer room. And this is the revival history timeline. We keep these in our prayer room, and they're, they're really meaningful to me. And I'll tell you why. Because you look at the people's names on, the, on these things and the heritage of healing, and you look at a Smith Wigglesworth you look at a John Wesley, you look at a David Edwards, you look at these revivalists in history and the, the timeline of Azusa Street and William Seymour and, and all these, these people, Brother Lawrence, and you look at this, and, and I know a lot of their stories and I've studied them and, and I studied the Bible way more, but I have an appreciation for revivalists that have also caught the fire and caught the vision of their significance to pour out a legacy and change the course of history. They're no different than you. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber and not called to ministry till he was like 48 years old. <laughs> a plumber. Each one of these people, if you look at it, they have a similar story. You, you, you go back in history and you look at these people and you look at Catherine Coleman and you look at these people, like some of them had divorces, some of them had like, like weird stuff even. But God still used the unlikely to do the least likely for the greater good. And I believe that's what he's calling you to do, each and every one of you, whatever that is. And, and I'll say this, two things usually fuel you, either passion and a love for something or frustration of something. Either way, both are good to fuel you, to motivate you, to see the multitudes and be moved with compassion like Christ was. 
to see the need, to see people in need, and then moved with compassion and compelled to actually do something about it. Not talk about it, not go in the huddle like the disciples. Well, Jesus, they're hungry. Shouldn't you do something? No, you go do something. You're going to pass out the bread. You're going to feed them. He saw them and was moved with compassion. He didn't just have sympathy. It was compassion. He was compelled to do something. I believe this. I had this vision of these mantles dropping. And, you know, there's, this needs to be continued because, you know, Billy Graham's on here. And it's, it's you know, you, you see these greats. And Billy, Billy Graham's mantle is, is dropping. Who's, who's grabbing that mic? Like, who's taking it? I think there's people in here. It may look totally different. It may not look like crusades. It may look like a Facebook live campaign of reaching millions of people. I don't know. It may look like Joyfest in Springfield. It may, people are grabbing onto it. And, and I'm just saying, like, God's, God has no end to his government. Like, it's not like, okay, well, that person's doing that. That's, that's already taken. No, we can all do it all. Seven billion people on this planet. They need us. They need you. He doesn't need an army. He just needs a few to catch a fire, to grab the mantle. He turned, picked 12 to turn the, world, the whole world upside down. He doesn't need an army. He's not opposed to it, but he doesn't need it. He just needs you to be you because everybody else is taken. Let me, let me close with a prayer. And what I wanted to do is just this prophetic act. I, I believe I had Elisha pop in my head when he grabbed the mantle from Elijah dropping down from the skies. He didn't take his eyes off him and he was taken up in a chariot of fire. So if you don't take my, your eyes off me, goes on this journey with him. And he says, when you see me taken up in a whirlwind of fire, you can have a double portion mantle. And I just saw that in here of like just mantles falling, anointings falling giftings falling, and I believe it's in a double portion way. Aaliyah graduating with a high school diploma and a college degree at the same time, that's a double portion anointing, and it's falling. Whatever that is for your family tree, like, and, and here's the thing, let, let me just clarify this. Changing the world might look like something different than we think, well, Billy Graham reached the multitudes and shared the gospel. Well, it might look like for you that you grew up in a home where your parents were divorced and your marriage isn't going to end divorce, end in divorce. So you get to give your kids an inheritance of growing up in a home where mom and dad love each other and they stay together and they choose the covenant of marriage over separation. Like that is an inheritance and that's something to be like so proud of, especially in this day and age. It might look like you don't have debt and you grew up in a, in a home of poverty and now you get to teach your kids budgeting and what it is to be debt free. Like inheritance comes in so many different ways, but the greatest inheritance of all is the inheritance of Jesus Christ. We get everybody in this room, everybody that knows Jesus gets to pass on this inheritance to their children. It's not what you leave to people that matters, it's what you leave in them. And I wanna leave the love and the goodness of the Father to my kids. When I leave, to me, nothing else matters. So these mantles, they're dropping. It's a double portion. So let's pray, and then, then we're just gonna reach up and grab them, okay? God, I thank you for, for this day. I thank you for the honor to have influence in our everyday lives. I thank you for the inheritance of you, the greatest inheritance of you, Jesus. Thank you for the legacy. I thank you for the purpose. I thank you for the calling on each of our lives. So commission us to go. And in our going, in our everyday lives, making disciples, revealing your love, introducing people to your goodness, your presence. 
God, we thank you for the double portion mantles. We thank you for the double portion anointings. We just reach up and grab them right now. Just reach up, just grab it. I know it's weird. Just grab it. We grab the double portion right now, whatever that is, whatever revival that looks like, whatever, whatever good work that looks like, whatever anointing that looks like, whatever love gift that looks like, we just grab the double portion right now. If it's a double portion of righteousness, if it's a double portion of wisdom, of clarity, of provision, God, whatever it might be, God, we just grab, we grab the double portion to be influencers for you, for your kingdom to advance, and that's to reveal your love to everyone around us. We thank you for this assignment. Most of all, we thank you for the alignment. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we love you so much. We don't want you to leave here today with, with any pain in your body, disease diagnosis, or most of all, not knowing Jesus as Messiah. So um, if, you, if you need prayer for any one of those things, we'd love to stay here with you, hang out, pray, lead you to the best decision of your life if you haven't yet chose Jesus as Savior and uh, known that. But otherwise, you are dismissed. We love you. Have an amazing day. Enjoy the lovely warm weather. Find a pool. Love you. Have a great day, great week.